Our text for today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and I'll begin reading at verse 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, Jesus says, you will live also. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Again, this week we find ourselves in the upper room on the night of what we call the Last Supper between Jesus and his closest followers. Darkness is falling, the shadows are gathering, and life as the disciples know it is about to come crashing down around them in chaos. And Jesus is preparing them for Gethsemane, for his arrest, his crucifixion, and then eventually after 40 days post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, his physical absence from them. Here in this text, he begins preparing them for his physical absence by defining love. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The world talks a great deal about love. The world can drone on about endless love. The world can promise us that the world will love us always. The world can lead us in declaring that all we need is love. Sometimes it appears that for the world, it isn't that God is love, but that love is God. The word love is used in so many ways by the culture around us that it's almost become a meaningless term. We talk about loving God, we talk about loving our spouse, our children, and we also can talk about loving North Carolina barbecue. But when we in the Christian community talk about love, we're talking about something that is very different from what the world is talking about when the world uses the word love. Usually when the world uses the word love, the world is referring to a sentiment or an emotion. It's referring to a feeling. It's referring to a strong preference for something or somebody. But we in the Christian community use the word love very differently. In the Christian community, love is never just a sentiment or an emotion. Love is always something that we do. And that's why Jesus says here at the beginning of this text, if you love me, you will do something. You'll keep my commandments. For us, love is not primarily about feeling, but it is primarily about doing. We show love to Jesus by keeping Jesus' 
commandments. We show love to others by keeping Jesus' commandments. We know that in order to love, we have to love as Jesus defines love. We've got to love the way Jesus loves. That means that we love by showing kindness, showing mercy, showing compassion, showing generosity to the people around us. It means that we never love simply to see what we can get in return, but we love simply because that person is a human being, that person is a child of God created in the image of God, that person is a person for whom Jesus Christ died. So for love, in our way of thinking of love, it's always something that we choose to do. It's not something that we simply feel. If Jesus had only said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, that could lead us to despair because that is a hard saying in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's so hard to live and love the way Jesus lives and loves. But Jesus doesn't stop with just this imperative, this command. He goes on, and I'm so grateful, to talk about what the text refers to as the parakletos, the paraclete, not parakeet, but paraclete. The parakeet is a beautiful bird, but the paraclete here in John's gospel is the Holy Spirit. And the word paraclete is used here. Let me begin reading again at verse 16 where Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete. You see, Jesus was the original paraclete, but as Jesus is preparing his followers for his eventual physical absence, he's saying, I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another paraclete to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. The paraclete translated here as advocate is the Holy Spirit. The word paraclete in the New Testament is another one of those Greek words that's very difficult to define or to translate into simply one word. That's why if you look at our Bibles, sometimes this word is translated advocate as it is here in the Bible in front of me. And certainly the Holy Spirit is our advocate. The Holy Spirit will be for us when all the world is against us. Sometimes the word paraclete is translated counselor, and that certainly is true of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will show us the way because as Jesus says here, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and the Holy Spirit can help us find our way out of confusion. Sometimes, such as in the King James Version, the paraclete is translated as comforter, and surely the Holy Spirit brings great, great comfort into our lives. The Holy Spirit brings peace, and the Holy Spirit brings strength into our lives. The word comfort has changed over the centuries. The word comfort means come with fortis bravery. And the Holy Spirit can bring us courage, can bring us bravery, can bring us the strength to stand when all of life is trying to tear us down. The word paraclete, parakletos in the Greek, literally means simply one who comes alongside. 
And that's why it really can't be translated with only one word, even though the word may be wonderful, such as advocate, counselor, comforter. That's why some translations of the Bible chooses just simply to translate the word paraclete as helper. And I like the word helper for paraclete because that's such a generic term that can remind us that the Holy Spirit can be for us whoever we need the Holy Spirit to be for us at any moment in our life. When John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Revival, was dying there in his bedroom at City Road, he gathered the closest followers around him that were still with him in those moments, and among his last words to his followers were these, best of all, God is with us. Through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, God is always with us. And that's why Jesus here is preparing his disciples for his eventual physical absence. After the resurrection, after 40 days of teaching them about the kingdom of God, he will ascend back to the Father. But he returns to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, is simply the Spirit of the living Christ that's now available to us. Best of all, as John Wesley said, God is with us. We all know that God is with us. God never leaves us. God will never forsake us. And hopefully in these trying days of COVID-19, we are reminding ourselves consistently and continually that God is always with us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? We know that. Emotionally, we know that. Cognitively, we know that. But sometimes we need to pray for God's manifest presence in our lives. We know that God is always with us. God never leaves us. But sometimes we just need a powerful, new, fresh taste of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. People that know me know that I love to take pilgrims to the Holy Land to study Scripture there in the spots where Scripture happened. One of my favorite spots in the Holy Land is the Sea of Galilee. I've taken perhaps 600 people over the years to Israel on pilgrimage. On my last trip, just a couple months ago, We were worshiping there on the Sea of Galilee. And there on the boat, after we finished worshiping and we had some free time just to walk the boat and to contemplate and absorb where it was we were there on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked upon the water and around that sea where Jesus performed so miracles, so many miracles, we experienced a fresh taste of the Holy Spirit. We experienced, many of us there on that boat, the manifest presence of Jesus. As we were enjoying what we thought to be simply some free time on the boat, we almost spontaneously started singing that popular contemporary Christian song, 10,000 Reasons, a song written by Matt Redman. And we were being reminded, bless the Lord, oh my soul, bless his holy name. And spontaneous worship broke out there 
board that boat on the Sea of Galilee. You could say we had our own little Pentecostal experience there aboard that vessel. You see, for those of us in the Wesleyan tradition, for those of us who take Scripture very seriously, we see that Pentecost is an ongoing experience, like Easter is an ongoing experience. There's some things about Easter that is not repeatable. Jesus rose from the dead, that historic moment uh, in the life of the, of, the, of the world. But there are some parts of Easter that are repeatable. We need to go on living the Easter life. We need to go on living in the power of the resurrection. Same true about Pentecost. Um, soon we're going to be celebrating the day of Pentecost in the life of the church when Jesus gave his spirit in fullness to his church. And it happened there on that specific day in Jerusalem. But there is something repeatable about Pentecost. There is the option of an ongoing experience of the power of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. There is the option of multiple experiences of God's manifest presence in our lives. I hope that we are always aware that God is already and always with us through the power of the Holy Spirit that's with us and within us. But I hope that we also, throughout our lives, enjoy the sweetness of those moments when the Spirit manifests himself in our lives in powerful ways. So I hope that you know that this paraclete is with you, and I hope that you experience the power of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, throughout your Christian walk. I don't know what you are facing today, but if you know Jesus Christ, if you've invited Jesus to, to rule and reign in your life as Lord, then you need to understand that you have all the resources necessary for facing whatever it is you're facing in life. Notice here Jesus goes on in the text, verse 18, to say in such a tender way to his followers, I will not leave you orphans. I am coming to you. You have all the spiritual resources at your disposal for living through whatever it is that life causes you to endure. I was 40 years old when my mother passed away. And I remember after she died, I left her bed and I went back to the bedroom there in my family home in which I was raised. And I remember sitting on the edge of my bed and even though I was 40 years old, I was grabbing that pillow and I was crying like I was an eight-year-old. And I remember feeling like I was an orphan. It's a terrible feeling. You start feeling like there's no one in the world that cares for you or cares about you. I'm so glad that Jesus has said to all of us who follow Jesus, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. Maybe that's something that you need to commit to memory. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. Maybe that's something that you can repeat over and over to yourself in your spirit or verbally in those difficult, difficult moments of life. 
I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. You will not leave me orphaned, Jesus. You are coming to me. He has not left us orphaned, and he comes and he comes and he comes to us. He is the one who is constantly coming to us. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. Some of you need to hear that word specifically on this day. I know that as a result of the physical distancing that a lot of people are living in great isolation right now, and there are people who live alone, and that isolation is almost becoming unbearable. May you hear Jesus saying to you, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. I don't know what the task is that is ahead of you, but I hope that you understand that the power within you is greater than any task ahead of you. Back to Jesus, the final verse of our text. We hear Jesus saying to us, in a little while, the world will no longer see me. Again, Jesus is preparing his closest followers for his eventual physical absence from them. And he goes on to say, he goes on to say, but you will see me. Even in those days when the world no longer sees me, you will see me. And then he concludes this text with that grand promise, because I live, you will live also. We have the option to experience the power of the resurrection life in us here and now. We have the option of experiencing the power of the paraclete, Jesus' spirit still residing with us, still residing in us. My friend, I hope that you have a relationship to the church the church is the body of Christ, and the church is just a group of beggars telling other beggars where they found bread. So I hope that you have a relationship to the church. We need each other. But especially today, my prayer for you is that you not only have a relationship to the church, but that you have a relationship with Christ. You have a relationship with the living Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to make sure that we never feel orphaned, to make sure that we are empowered for the living of these days. I hope that you know his presence. I hope that you're always mindful of his presence. I hope that peppered throughout your life are experiences of his manifest presence. May I pray with you. God, for the gift of this day and for the gift of this time that we share together, we give you great thanks. We pray, God, that you will so fill us with your Holy Spirit, immerse us in your Spirit, that we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that best of all, you are with us. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.